Welcome to another episode of the SERS Group Podcast. I'm JC. And I'm Barbara. And today we have a very special guest, a second time guest on our show, Dr. Christian Navarro-Torres. Welcome back. Thank you so much, JC and Barbara. It's an honor again to be here with you, as always. Thank you so much for joining us. And today we are talking about ADHD and SERS. And I mean, I'm going to let Barbara kind of intro how we got down this rabbit hole, but this should be a pretty comprehensive conversation, and we we hope to shed some insight into ADHD and SIRS. But that said, uh, we are not medical professionals. We are not your doctor. And so anything we say is really from the perspective of SIRS patients, of people who experience ADHD symptoms, um, but none of this should be taken as medical advice. Christian, thank you so much for joining us today. Do you want to give everyone a little bit of an idea of why we brought you on for this episode, what your credentials are, and where people can find you? So I suppose part of the reason I'm here is because, number one, uh, I'm a patient, and number two, I'm a researcher who studies um, human cognition and the brain. And so given the this being such a core feature of SIRS and ADHD, well, we thought maybe this wouldn't be a bad idea to bring someone like me and see what happens. Um, and so I also run the uh, search lab platform on Instagram where you can find more resources uh, sort of on the scientific and medical basis of SIRS. And we're posting content there regularly. Feel free to check it out. Definitely follow Christian over at the SIRS lab on Instagram if you're not already. They host really helpful webinars. They've had extremely good reviews from everyone in the SIRS group, and you cover topics that are so topical in the SIRS conversation. Um, I think your most recent one was on Actino's cleaning, right? That's right. Yes. And you said you have one coming up. What is that one going to be on? We're going to be talking about MSH a little bit more. Ooh. What is MSH? And I think it's uh, greatly uh, underlooked sort of marker answers that we think it's really, really important. And I think even on the research front, we don't fully appreciate what MSH is doing for us. So I'm going to be talking about that in term, in a way that's accessible for people in general and in terms of how it ties into your treatment recovery. And you can find him uh, bouncing around in the SERS group with us, which is always uh, awesome to get his feedback on things there too. And yes, yes. Um, I have Dr. Christian Navarro-Torres to blame for uh, realizing about two months ago that I have ADHD. And no, he did not diagnose me. He's not that kind of doctor, but... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. But he talked about it. He shared on his Instagram at SIRS Lab, uh, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes, uh, about ADHD and SIRS and linked to a TED Talk where a woman described her entire life with dealing with ADHD. And I was like, holy crap, that's me. And it all of a sudden at age, now I'm 37, at age 37, I now have an explanation for why I did a lot of the things that I did in my life. Um, so yeah, I, Christian, do you want to explain maybe the like a, a definition of, of ADHD before we get into this fun stuff? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, and one thing I want to add to what you just said, it Ironically, like for me also, it was a very recent discovery. I think it was somewhere in the summer months, maybe June, June, yeah, uh, somewhere on May, June that I started to really pick up on this idea for myself. And it was mm. very similar to your, it's like a revelation moment, putting the, uh, the dots together. So yeah. in terms of ADHD, so I'm going to 
briefly provide a basic definition in terms of uh, from a cognitive perspective. Um, so at, at its heart, um, ADHD, which stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, originally called ADD, uh, uh, Attention Deficit Disorder, people use those interchangeably. This is basically what we call a neurodevelopmental disorder of self-regulation, okay? What does that mean? Um, it's essentially an executive function deficit. What are executive functions? These are the cognitive processes that allow us to regulate our own behaviors with respect to goals, right? And that's a really important part of life. It's what makes us in many ways humans distinct from other species. That ability to self-regulate in relation to something that we want to achieve and then being able to follow through that. It's like looking into the future in a way, if you think about it. And so with that said, ADHD is essentially, and this is important, it's a disorder of action and control, not necessarily a disorder of lack of awareness or lack of knowledge, although there are issues of self-awareness that do come into play. But it's not like necessarily, even when someone has been diagnosed and they know they have ADHD, that's not going to get rid of the issue. So that's what I mean by lack of awareness or, or awareness in that sense. Um, and just really quickly, the disorder basically has what I would say two basic components. Um, on the one hand, it has a hyperactivity and hyperactivity impulsivity component, which basically sums up to an inability to uh, engage what we call inhibitory mechanisms or behaviors. So it could be things like right, hyper, hyperactivity, which tie to motor inhibition. If it's like very physical, like you can't, you're always sort of restless and always like move, moving. And that's a very stereotypical view of children with ADHD. But there could also be verbal inhibition problems, excessive talking, interrupting. And then there's things like impulsive cognition. So decision making that happens in real time, you don't really process um, the information in depth enough to really think about the long-term consequences. And so there's little reflection. There's also impulsive motivation. So things like immediate gratification become sort of at the forefront. And then you start undervaluing future goals. And then there's also going to be an emotional dysregulation component, which is, um, I think more recently has been integrated into the scientific literature as an important piece of the disorder. So hyperactivity impulsivities, this, this one component that has all these things that I just mentioned. And the second one is an attention problem, right? Which is an inability to sustain attention over time. Um, so you, you lack an ability to have sustained actions toward future goals, as we mentioned already. Um, and there's gonna be a persistence to respond to irrelevant goals at, at the moment, things that can stand out for no apparent reason and they captivate you and then you sort of go down that rabbit hole. Um, so those are sort of the basic features from a cognitive perspective of what ADHD is. And we can try to put that in context in terms of us or, or you know, what that looks like in life. Yeah. So a couple of things jumped out at me as you were going through all of those fun symptoms that I, I know so well. Um, you know, you said uh, impulsivity and decision making, saying yes too quickly to something and then realizing, oh, why did I say yes to that? That's going to screw up my whole day or it's going to whatever. Very much so. Um, buying stuff, like just a quick buy, a quick um, 
that dopamine hit of uh, that's why a lot of people with ADHD struggle with their finances, because not only are they buying things without thinking, they're also not going to take the time to really like budget and figure things out on the back end um, and, and make sure that all their ducks are in a row financially. Um, that time and like goal management issue, people with ADHD have two times now and not now. And so yes. if uh, if there's a, a project due three months from now, cool, not now. And if there's a project due tomorrow, oh, holy shit, now, you know, and that's, those are the only two ways that people with AD, not the only two, obviously there's a spectrum there, but there, that's really a thing that a lot of people with ADHD struggle with, myself included. And of course you mentioned the emotional dysregulation. I cry really easily and I get very strong emotions when it's not totally warranted all the time. Um, and, yeah. and so, yeah. And, and then the one other thing, sorry, I'm jumping. No, no, the ADHD. In uh, the is, spirit. Yes. <laughs> yes. In the spirit. I'm going to embrace uh, no masking today, guys. I'm just going to go nope. with it. Um, the hyper folk. So I have read some pushback on that term attention deficit disorder, because it's not that there's like a lack of attention. It's just that we don't have control over it. So, and what that means is sometimes if we're very interested in something, like I'm very interested in learning about ADHD right now, ironically, I can be hyper-focused on it. I can read books on it. I can listen to books. I can consume podcasts. I can have a conversation with you guys right now about it and be totally dialed in. But uh, I don't, it's only because I really love it and it's, feeding my dopamine processes right now. At some point I might get bored with it and maybe that won't happen anymore on this particular topic, which is why ADHD people do tend to like hop jobs, hop relationships, hop homes they live in, all things I've done. Uh, so that's that's another thing. It's It's like something else is controlling where your thoughts are going and you're kind of, you're a little bit just having to go with it, right? Like there's not a whole lot of control that we have we can try really hard to push back on that but it it can be really exhausting and painful to to do that yes um i can and i can there's a lot of things you said there that were i they spoke to me the way you put them together this uh idea of right jumping um skipping from one task to another uh so Right. There is a control issue. It's fundamentally a control issue. And what's, what happens is you may get like uh, very captivated to doing some kind of novel task. And often this is in part because it can be a very strong stimulant of dopamine, which is something we're severely lacking in our brains. And this is like our basically our neurochemical that helps us, that gives us a sense of reward. Essentially, looking into the future again, dopamine is that... Um, neurochemical that's really important for that and so there could be situations that can trigger that process but then they can override things that are more imminent in the moment and this where this is where the idea of goal-driven behavior right if you know there's something that needs to get done that's more important that has more priority but you're willing to just put that aside in order to do this other go down this rabbit hole then this is where you start seeing the, the, the problem with ADHD, right? And um, the, yeah, and for the emotional dysregulation, you mentioned that, and there's a couple of features that I think are interesting about that, which is 
One of them is an inappropriate response to a very strong emotional situation. So that's one. And I think you, you alluded to that. Yeah. And then there's going to be difficulties dampening that initial emotional response, or that can be, it doesn't always have to be like this. And then there could also be issues recovering from that response and redirecting that to a meaningful sort of goal driven situation that allows you to kind of jump back into a regulated emotional state. So all of those things can be impacted in that process. Good times. And just throw in some like good old childhood trauma into the mix, which I think is very common with both people with SIRS and people with ADHD. And the uh, emotional dysregulation, uh, it just has a really good time. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, speaking of ADHD and SIRS, um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about like how those two things overlap and why why there seems to be that like comorbidity situation going on where people have both. Not everyone, though, of course. Um, JC is a good example. Uh, I'm just going to jump in here real quick to define comorbidity, because the first time Barbara said that to me, I thought it meant like additional cause of death. (laughs) Right. I think I was part of this conversation, if I remember. At least I was part of one of them. I had to like Google it and I was like, what? What are we saying right now? Like we're killing people with these things? Not necessarily. Comorbidity just means a thing you have in addition to the thing that you have. And it doesn't necessarily cause death. Thank you, JC, for that. That's a very important thing to uh because there's a lot of comorbidities that people talk about in the ADHD world, like dyslexia or autism or other things where, and, and then, you know, so I've heard it a lot in all my, yeah, all of that, but, but agreed before that I had only heard it being talked about as it relates to COVID and whether someone had some other issue or like at CSI. the time of death. Yeah. <laughs> so <CSI. laughs> oh, beautiful. Okay, good. Uh, so, so yeah, um, some of the symptoms that uh, are pretty hallmark to both SIRS and ADHD are uh, confusion, that walking into a room and forgetting why, um, difficulty learning new things, you know, for ADHD people that generally, that happens more um, when they're not interested in learning the thing, obviously, um, that hard to concentrate. Again, in ADHD, it, it does happen but it's only when you're hyper-focused. Um, so I think if in SIRS, that brain fog never really lets up that, that like all of those cognitive difficulties. And I think that might be a really good differentiation. Um, and I, I'll also interject here that I think my ADHD symptoms became more apparent to me since I've been healing from SIRS because the brain fog did lift and I was less confused walking into rooms, but then I still was like, still things weren't quite falling into place the way I had hoped, but everything else felt so much better. And I was like, oh, ADHD. Um, But yeah, and then a couple more things, fatigue in general, um, uh, Christian mentioned uh, executive function is impaired. Well, that attempt to have executive functioning is very exhausting for people with ADHD. So you run out of energy very quickly. Um, and and so on kind of on a daily basis, or even even you could be great one day, and you just kind of overexert yourself thinking (laughs) and then you uh and then the next day you just are a potato and that's that's what you have to do and i know that can happen with sirs as well um and then of course you know memory impairment um people with adhd their working memory is terrible if you give me a code for the bathroom 
to to go use it at a public re uh, restroom, I will have to ask for it again. Like that, that's very normal for me. So, so yeah, and I, I want to piggyback on that because the working memory component is the fundamental deficit at a processing level in ADHD. So, and you already alluded to uh, working memory, but basically, right. So imagine if you're doing something like you go, in fact, this happens to me, this happened to me several times and I've been able to experience this when I'm in exposure. If I go to like a medical appointment, I'm not going to say exactly where, but uh, uh, there's this very group of uh, or clinics uh, that seem to have a notorious uh uh, they're, they're, they're famous for not being the most clean places from a source per perspective. But imagine if you're filling out a form and then at the same time, you're trying to provide information to, let's say, the secretary. Um, right. So what you're doing there is you're you're using your working memory. It's a different form of it's a specific form of active short term memory. So it's not long term memory, long term memory. It's OK. in ADHD people, in fact, it might be amazing. But it's this inability to maintain relevant information accessible in real time, in the moment, in the presence of potentially distracting information. So I mentioned the idea of like filling out a form and then I have to listen to the secretary and I'm writing. And I've experienced myself when I am in an exposure situation, I'm trying to do these things in the past. I would literally start trembling. I couldn't just coordinate these things. And so something had to give really uh, quickly. And I think this is an interesting situation of where the search component is at the very least exacerbating um, mm -hmm. these working memory deficits that are so, so core to ADHD. Yeah, that's a trip because I, I don't notice, but so I don't notice that it's happening in in line with the exposures, but maybe it is. Cause I know Christian, you're much more sensitive to those momentary exposures than I am. Like you'll get, yeah. you'll, the alarms will start going off for you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm jumping in here. Cause I saw this in action after Barbara and uh, Alan got back from Florida, Barbara asked Alan what color of sports drink he wanted and immediately forgot, like just asked him he answered and she was like nope the color is no longer there in my brain um and, and so I, I don't think... think I even noticed until you and I were in the car and I said do you remember what color he said <laughs> right like I, I don't remember like I you you remembered for me that time yes that was rough that's a good point sorry wow. go ahead. no that's intense is it that intense? God, that's happened my whole life. Like, that's just so normal for me to ask someone point blank a question. I mean, I, I thought it was normal to be like, oh, nice to meet you. I'm Barbara, your name. And then you hear the name and it doesn't actually stay. I thought that was kind of normal, but I guess it's not. I, if I've only met you once, I probably don't remember your name. <laughs> I think that's acceptable. <laughs> okay. Sorry in advance. <laughs> yeah, and thank you for um, clarifying what working memory is. That's another uh, ADHD lingo that I forget. Most people don't know what working memory is versus, um, you know, all the other memories. Because yeah, yeah I, I know all the lyrics to every song I've ever heard once. Yay. I, but like, I know no <laughs> lyrics. What is that? <laughs> Diagnose me. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's really funny. Yeah. Alan has no idea how I know lyrics. I've I've anyway, he, he doesn't ever memorize any songs and I can sing like almost anything that comes on the radio. I know Santeria 
and that's it. <laughs> so I, I definitely have this with music and I have it with movies where I can definitely rehearse entire movies. Um, I used to do that as a kid, like Lion yeah, King. I could go through the whole script in my yeah, head. I, I, I think I can still do almost all of it. Um, I'm sure it just needs the stimulus. So yeah, so right. And there's this, that, that speaks to this idea of uh, not necessarily an attention deficit in the very literal sense. It really depends on how you're qualifying that. Yeah. So yeah, I would love to dig into some of the science part of uh, like how SIRS and ADHD each affect the brain, how that's similar, how that's different. And I know, Christian, you've done a lot of research on this. I've, I've tried to do as best as, as much as I can. And I mean, we do have a lot of research on ADHD. And I do want to say that a lot of this research is coming from uh, sort of the developmental literature. So looking at children um, up until young adolescents. So in reality, in the grand scheme, we don't know much about ADHD past uh, so into adulthood, essentially, we there is research, but it's nowhere near as robust. And that's a really interesting issue because most SIRS patients, most of us end up getting sick um, as adults. And then so that's like there's a huge hole or gap there that I think needs to be further explored. And that has been my sense from reading the literature as, as much as I've been able to. But one way to think up oh, to one way. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I want to jump in just to give people a sense of how many people are affected by each thing. And I know we've we've talked about SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome affects about one in four, about 24% of the population is estimated to have the genetic predisposition to not being able to eliminate biotoxins when they encounter that biotoxin. With ADHD, it's estimated that there are around 10% of the population of adults specifically that are walking around uh, with ADHD, but I think only like, I want to say like 4%, I'll put the right, st the stats in the, in the show notes if I get it wrong, but like 4% are diagnosed. So that's a pretty big gap there on diagnosed versus undiagnosed. And, um, and the issue with kids, usually people freak out like, oh, kids are overdiagnosed, we're medicating our children valid in some cases some doctors and some people are very happy to go oh give them some Adderall um and 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 then that's it but um but a lot of people because of that fear don't diagnose it at all and then you have populations that are again undiagnosed as kids and that's so tough I was a kid that was undiagnosed I know how difficult school was for me um so anyway, I just want to kind of give people a picture of how often it occurs so that you know um, that it's not just like, you know, one in a million people. It's it's a pretty decent size of the population, but there it is probably less than SIRS even. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great clarification. Um, yeah. And I, I think you may see SIRS patients who. Right. And I think the way you describe it was uh, beautiful because uh, it the same happened to me once I started the Shoemaker protocol and I started feeling better. These ADHD symptoms started to amplify. It's like I could I was very became much more aware about them. It became very disruptive. And and I think what's what's happening there is as you're clearing the noise from all the surge signal, if you have, and we can talk about this later, but there is a genetic basis for a lot of people who are diagnosed with ADHD. There are uh, genetic predispositions. If you're one of these people that fall in that um, percentage of the popula of ADHD 
population, which is about 75% of diagnosed cases uh, have a genetic basis. I guess I'm saying it now, but um, yeah, the, then there's a possibility that healing through SIRS is going to, what it's going to do is allow you to now suddenly start noticing like, oh my God, this has been in the background. I just couldn't parse it in this particular way, but I, it's clearly a problem now. So I think that was a really good observation. In terms of, um, right, so one way to think about how to compare these two categories is to think about what's happening in the brain, in ADHD and in SIRS. Um, so that's one way to think about, you know, we talked about the symptoms, but also in terms of what areas of the brain are affected um, in each case and where do we see some overlap. So there is, so we, we've already established that ADHD is fundamentally an executive function uh, disorder, right? And so the, these are the brain networks in your, that are going to be uh, largely affected in ADHD. And actually, you'll see a lot of the same in SIRS. Um, but there's going to be some interesting differences in terms of sort of the canonical patterns. So some of these brain regions that are really important to the executive function network, frontal regions in your brain, some people will call the prefrontal cortex, but there's just different parts in your frontal are uh, parts of your brain that actually are really important for making reward-based decisions. So dopamine, um, and then working memory and things like that. There's a region, if you were to like look at your brain, um, you know, there's two hemispheres, there's, they sort of split. If you were to look right into the in-between space towards the front middle part, um, there's a brain region called the anterior cingulate cortex. It's a region that lights up for almost everything that we do that has to do with executive function and goal-directed behavior, monitoring, self-awareness, things like that. Then you go deep into the brain at the center and you have what we call the basal ganglia, which has a bunch of different small structures. And one of them, I made a video on Instagram, is called the caudate nucleus. Um, and inhibition of actions, movement, things like this, volitional movement, uh, speech control, uh, all these things are really important in the caudate and it communicates with all these frontal regions. And then there's things like the cerebellum, which is this little part in the back that looks like a mini brain. Um, and then there's the amygdala, which is a lot of people think of it in terms of limbic system. So emotion regulation, this part of the brain is really important for emotion regulation. So all of these brain regions are going to be um, affected by ADHD. Um, and one thing that I pulled out from the research is that on average, ADHD involves about a 10% reduction in the volume of these uh, brain regions. Um, the severity of atrophy in ADHD predicts the severity of symptoms. There's a correlation there with studies. And what's really interesting is that sometimes these atrophy patterns that we see in children with ADHD, they will show some normalization after adolescence. Um, which is a deviation from SIRS because we don't see that, right? If anything, it's kind of the opposite pattern. Mm -hmm. In SIRS, what we see is atrophy getting worse over time. Whereas with ADHD, if you've been diagnosed early on, there's a reasonable chance that that's going to start normalizing, maybe with medication or most likely with medication, or maybe on its own with some other intervention. Um, there's also, it, it, it's not only affecting brain structure, but it's also affecting brain function. So activity in your brain, these brain regions, there's about a 25% reduction in brain activity in these regions. 
and brain function on like brain structure remains impaired into adulthood. So that is something that we do see in ADHD persist. We don't know in SIRS though, how that plays out because we don't have data where we look at brain function, brain activity, essentially. Um, there is, so in terms of similarities and differences to talking a little bit more about that, in SIRS from patients who are suffering from water damage exposure, we, we tend to see swelling of these frontal regions that I mentioned and the amygdala, which is the emotion regulation center. But these regions tend to have reduced volumes in ADHD. So the pattern is sort of opposite for those, these specific regions. But what's really interesting is that in SIRS, there's a developmental trajectory, namely that over time, the frontal regions in your cortex outside the brain they can get swollen, but then they can start shrinking over time. And then we start seeing convergence with ADHD, if you start seeing that pattern. I mean, how severe that happens may be very different in both cases on their own. But if you put them together, then maybe you're asking for a recipe for disaster in that sense. Um, but one thing that the two uh, illnesses share in common is that they both lead to atrophy from the get-go to this caudate nucleus basal ganglia region, which is very important, like I said, for things like movement, um, learning, um, uh, purposeful actions. Uh, also, uh, dopamine is really important in that circuitry, and this is where you'll see Parkinson's and things like those kinds of neurodegenerative diseases, it's like those brain regions affected. Um, and then there's, we already touched on this, but there's deficiencies in executive functions and working memory. So those are sort of some of the core similarities and differences between the two. Beautiful summary. Thank you so much. Um, I have seen, uh, just uh, for a little bit of hope, that that uh, some treatments for ADHD seem to include uh, working on your balance, which I guess is done in... Um, which part of the brain I had it, not the amygdala, but the other one that was in Working the middle. Out. Oh, the, <laughs> cerebellum, the, the cerebellum. Oh, you're thinking about, right. Cerebellum is really important for balance. Absolutely. Yes. Which is, I mentioned it. Yes. Yes. But if so, so doctors have treated, so there are sometimes where children can't get medication, especially if they're in another country, a lot of countries don't allow stimulants to be given at all. Um, so, uh, they have the kids work on balance for like an hour a day, which is a lot of time, but if, and they actually improve, which is fascinating to me. So kind of like working on like those aspects of the brain and helping them kind of develop and create more little neural pathways, like just that act alone can potentially be beneficial, which is why i uh, started doing yoga again. Uh, as much as I can, you know, help with my balance, I will. Um, and when you mentioned um, ADHD uh, being uh, your coordination being affected or movement, people with ADHD tend to be on the clumsier side. Very which clumsy. Is interesting. You know, not as sports oriented, uh, for example. So I think I um, think that's fascinating. If you can work on those things, that can maybe have some reversal effects. Yes, it's interesting. I'm a very sport oriented person, but I've always been a very strange person. Like I used to, I, I played basketball. Uh, I'm not going to say professionally, but like in, in leagues since I was like really young and I was, I'm, I was really good at it, but I had a lot of weird, um, like idiosyncratic aspects to my body movement and compared to a more prototypical basketball player. It's always been there. And now I kind of realize, oh, this is what's going on. Yeah. 
That's funny. I've been terrible with sports, but I'm a relatively good dancer. And I just assumed it was because I'm Mexican. Uh, but I think I've like, I think because I enjoy dancing that I, I practice and I do do well at it. And I, you know, I got into dance in, in high school and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's interesting what, but at the same time, I don't think like I could have gone pro, you know, <laughs> like it probably wasn't quite there at that level or anything. Next but... season on the search group podcast, Barbara joins dancing with the stars. I'm excited yep. for that plot twist. Oh yeah. That's going to be a good one. <laughs> that would be amazing to watch. I'll just watch. I won't participate. I don't want to make a fool of myself. Oh, no, no. So. Hey, no, we want to see your uh, non-prototypical dance moves. Yes. Maybe you could. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy to do it for drumming I'm, as I'm a drummer. So that's another place where you would see a very uh, weird sort of way of playing drums. It, it was like very, always very unique in terms of body posture. My brother, who's a professional drummer, would comment on that a lot. Oh, I'm sure they were really nice comments. Yeah, you could <laughs> <No>. say. <laughs> oh man, uh, siblings are great. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we we kind of touched on this a little bit already, but the big question, which by the way, guys, spoiler alert, we don't have an answer to, is how um, how can some people have SIRS but not ADHD, or have ADHD but not SIRS? Like, it's not a perfect overlap, but there is quite a bit of overlap, and we don't really know why yeah uh i mean i'm happy I, I, yeah i think this is an open-ended question and we we're, we're i'm gonna sort of uh brainstorm here a little bit with you guys but okay. certainly like i said there is a genetic component for clinically diagnosed adhd and maybe i should make a very quick distinction here um there is a lot of um so you know the ADHD has become a very popular sort of uh, 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 disorder in social media and things like that. It's getting a lot of attention. And I think it's important to make the distinction between people who have been clinically diagnosed with ADHD. And these are people who are evaluated by a clinician and they basically, it's a sort of a categorical yes or no. Do you meet criteria following a set of, uh, of symptom criteria? And Barbara, I know you did this recently. I, I, I don't know if you want to share anything yeah. about that oh, yeah. process I'm, but i'm an open book um i did get formally diagnosed uh, a couple months ago a month ago something like that um and yeah it was a just a psychiatrist asking me a bunch of questions about things kind of really what he was doing was ruling out bipolar depression anxiety other things which i have had depression and anxiety in the past um and so it was interesting to be able to answer those questions in a new way given my current thoughts and feelings and emotions and and then at the end he gave me a questionnaire to do myself and and give back to him and and basically yeah there's um i forget how many questions it's according to the DSM5 you can look this up um for ADHD and if you get i think 6 out of the i don't know how many questions there are then you qualify uh to have it but it's so yes it's a, I, like all of these all mental disorders and even SIRS really there's like a spectrum right there are very extreme horrible cases and then there are milder livable cases and there's a bunch in between um yeah. and so I think that's what you're about to go into a little bit yeah which is right there's that and then there's what uh researchers and clinicians was called subclinical ADHD so these are people who have haven't necessarily 
um, been, or yeah, they haven't been officially diagnosed uh, in the way that you just described. But if you give them some kind of self-report uh, rating scale in terms of different symptoms that are typically associated with ADHD, you know, they may report uh, uh, increased severity of some of these symptoms. And so there's been research looking at both each of these separately. Uh, a lot of research has conflated the two, but then there's also research where they teased apart these two populations and there are important differences from a research part. Uh, part. What I was going to say was in terms of thinking about, you know, is ADHD SIRS or, um, well, we know that in, in, in the clinically diagnosed cases of ADHD, like I said, there's a genetic, uh, it's highly heritable. It runs in families. Um, and like, I think I said this already, it's about 75% heritability, which is really high. So chances are, if you are diagnosed with, with ADHD, um, it, it has, it most likely runs somewhere, you know, your parents, one of your parents has it and then, you know, you can trace it. So that is going to, um, sort of set you, set you up for, you know, running into this situation. And what, what's really cool about, I don't want to say cool necessarily, but what's interesting about this is that SERS is right. It's, it has the same sort of ingredient, which is there's a genetic susceptibility for most people. And it's not a hundred percent, right? It's 75% roughly for ADHD. And I think for SERS is about 95, 90 to 95% of people based on the studies that will have one of these HLA haplotypes that make you susceptible. So I think that's really important to consider when we're talking about this issue. And then there's research also showing that there's environmental aspects that seem to contribute. So I, I mean, I think this is an area that's heavily under research, but there are studies showing exposure to heavy metals and chemicals such as BPA during pregnancy. Um, and this is important because ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder, right? It's very specifically tied to development and how your brain is developing. Um, you know, these parts of your brain are developing in response to whatever it is that's, you know, whether it's the genetics or the environment. So these, these exposures have been strongly associated with clinical ADHD diagnosis. And it raises the question, right? Um, if you have, I mean, well, if you have an HLA susceptible and then you have someone with this genetic susceptibility uh, you're, I mean, you're, you're going to have exposure to biotoxins, right. Um, yeah. from basically the moment you're brought into this world. So it does raise the question. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. One thing, um, I did want to ask is prior to SIRS and prior to carnivore, I was diagnosed with OCD and I found something that was really helpful for me was to have a lot of routines and having routines was really what allowed me to structure my life and my environment so that my OCD was manageable. So is ADHD kind of something that you can similarly manage through routines or do people mostly have to go the, you know, pharmaceutical route or what opportunities do people have to live life with ADHD in a manageable way? All of the above. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yes. I think that I um, spent my whole life uh, living according to calendars and notebooks and planners and all of that fun stuff. Um, but just like in that sense, OCD, um, when I use my keys, my car keys, and I come home, I put them in the exact same spot every single time. And I've always done that. And I never thought about that. But man, there was like one time I dropped them 
with the dog's leashes, like at this, like in the same spot, I had to search the house for an hour. Like there's just no, like it was in, it was crazy. Anyway, my point is I have to put things back exactly where they always are or else I will not remember where they are. If, if that makes sense. So, so yes, like little routines, little, little things like that definitely help on the management side. Christian, what has your experience been? Um, yeah, I've had to, I mean, if I look back, especially as I started entering grad school, certain things became very, very extreme. One of them was um, pushing things towards the very last minute. And it became to a point where it was very detrimental to me. Um, and I would just get these insane, like, and uh, the, the people who were working with me and who knew me very well, my advisor, um, they just couldn't figure out how I could write like half uh, a research paper in one, like overnight suddenly. And then, you know, and, and so these things were happening to me and they were getting out of control and I could tell they were going to potentially affect my uh, professional uh, career in terms of productivity. At the time, I didn't know anything about ADHD, but um, once I got sick with SIRS, this, right, and then I started getting treated, um, and maybe I'll tie this to going back to the question of, ex of, of relationship with SIRS. Once I started to pay a lot of attention to avoiding exposure because I'm so hypersensitive and I started taking the binders, I noticed that if I was in very ideal environments, um, a lot of this like last minute pushing sort of started to go away and I became a little bit more goal oriented, a little bit more sustained. And this especially happened when I went to, I've mentioned this maybe before in the, I don't know. But uh, at one point, I decided to go to Huntington Beach, California, when I was really sick to try to do part of the protocol. And this is for some reason where I felt like the most amazing, just doing binders and not even having like purifiers. And during this period, one of the things that I noticed, is I became very productive. Suddenly, I started to uh, work on things over the course of like a month. I, I was just getting a lot of things done. Um, I had to really avoid exposures. But once I figured it out, it just became like part of that. So I, I will say that there is, at least for some of us, there's going to be some element of the onus that's going to, you have to address in order to, and, um, you know, think of other treatment options that you can introduce to, that, that can help you. Um, but so once I discovered that, I started to pay more attention of how can I figure out ways to stick to that or to, to, um, to, to, capture more of those moments and not be so like waiting until the last minute to get things done, waiting for that really huge burst of energy. And since then, I think I've been just getting a little bit better slowly. Um, and I think certain supplements have helped for me personally, it's definitely calendar. Like I have to mark everything down and I have to force myself to do it right away. Like my Google calendar, Zoom meetings. Um, I'm not inherently i don't think i'm ever going to be a, a note-taking person of like every single detail that's just not how my brain works but i think there's a level that i i have to compromise and figure out ways so that i can keep things sort of functional and i don't know some combination of these things has been so far helpful oh and i have to, i want to say thyroid medication for me has been uh really useful for managing some of these adhd symptoms it turns out in the literature that there's a correlation a lot of 
people with ADHD have thyroid dysfunction. Not everybody, but something to consider if you're one of these people. Yeah, I, I appreciate you mentioning that, Christian, because I specifically, next time I get my SIRS blood work done, um, my doctor's throwing in a thyroid panel, which I've never had tested in my entire life, just for curiosity's sake, and I'll certainly share that with you. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's a connection there for me too. Um, when but you also, get to that point in your SIRS treatment where you're just like, throw it in, doc. Yeah, I know. Oh, I Seriously. Let's Hormone just add, panel, let's do it. A few more vials, I can take it. Um, yeah. Um, to, to piggyback on some of that, like hopeful management tips that I've learned and things that you can look into if you are struggling with ADHD symptoms, um, this book, uh, delivered from distraction, fantastic. Uh, they also wrote ADHD 2.0, also a great book. I'm in the process of reading this one now, and it is written by ADHD people for ADHD people. You can read like one section, you can hop around, like they encourage that when you read this book. I'm like reading between Barbara's fingers as she's holding that book up. Is the person's last name Halloween? It's Hallowell, but I do have Halloween nails, so it's uh, very appropriate, but it's (laughs) anyway. um, The other thing I was going to say um, is to, yeah, get educated in line with the, the books. I think the more that I've learned about ADHD, the better. I'm very aware. Like when I try to write an email and it takes me an hour, but I accomplish like five other things during that <laughs> process. I'm like, oh, there's ADHD for you. Um, so so do that. Um, let your mind off leash is how I've heard it said, where you're not using executive functioning. Like just go and do something where your brain can kind of float around and not think too much. And I know that's hard for people with ADHD because they really want to be stimulated, which is why they start so many different projects. Um, But if you can kind of just let yourself think about whatever you want and work on things and and, and relax in whatever way feels good to you, um, give yourself that kindness. And it will be said about every health thing on the planet, but sleep and eating well is so important. Um, the, the less sleep you get, if you are chronically not sleeping enough, that will absolutely make ADHD symptoms worse. It'll make SIRS worse. And I know that's going to be hard if you have SIRS and you're waking up a bunch of times to pee in the middle of the night, but that's where the, the more that you can get that stuff under control and help yourself there, um, the better off you'll be, um, as much as you can one thing at a time. Right. But, but, uh, those are all important. Those are really good. I I really like the sleep diet. I personally found that with the ADHD specifically, they do play a really big role. Um, and we can talk another time about diet. But one thing I did want to say very quickly in terms of resources on the academic side, there's someone um, called Russell Barkley. Um, and he's the sort of leading figure in ADHD. And he has a YouTube channel. Uh, he's a neuropsychiatrist. He's retired now, I think. And he's just doing a lot of content creation. But if you want to learn from an academic perspective, what's going on, a lot of what, what, what we talked about uh, throughout the, the, the podcast, um, he's a great person to, to check out and, and on the more scientific academic side. And one thing I wanted to say for tips that I just thought as you were talking is um, for me, that's been very helpful and I think would help people to, if they need to get stuff done, to try not, not to think about it in terms of... Um, I need to get this thing done by this time, 
rather, okay, I'm going to work for roughly the next two hours and I just, let's see how much I can get done. If you can create a situation that gives you that mentality, it gives you more power, I think, and productivity. Um, it certainly helped me a lot. And so this is like something that I, I found to be very re rewarding. I'll, I'll do you one better. Uh, no, this is not better. This is how maybe how sad my situation is. I have to do 15 minute timers. That's how low okay. I've, I will work on something for 15 minutes. And I set a timer and I'll still get distracted during those 15 minutes. But at least it it's like this thing that reminds me. No, no, no. 15 minutes. That's all like you can do anything for 15 minutes. Just do that. And so but yeah, so start small if you need to is the only reason I'm bringing that up. But if you can do a two hour chunk, by all means, do a two hour chunk. That would be amazing, too. That's, sure. that's a really good I, I appreciate you mentioning that because the, how long you want to go for it will really depend. Yes. And so I like I actually haven't tried this myself with the timer. Maybe I'll try it and I'll let you know. It's helpful. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I just bought, um, it's not here yet, but I got a time timer, which is this little, like I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's a dial, like it's like an egg timer or whatever, but it turns bright red. I'm not doing this right. Turns bright red for the amount of time you have left and it slowly gets smaller. So it's just very visual um, and it's not digital. And the reason that's important is it's not my phone. So often when I'm setting the timer on my phone, something on my phone will distract me and I will go off. So it's just, it'll be good to have a timer that's not my phone. So I can throw my phone on the other side of the room and uh, and actually just look at the timer and, and you know, get my work done. Wow. So many that's things. Cool. I, yeah. I guess it's <laughs> managing. Um, anyway, I hope this was helpful. JC, did you learn some fun stuff? <laughs> oh, I learned so much. I know all about, not all about, but I know way more about ADHD than I did when we were walking into this episode. So thank you both so much. If you're looking for more resources and support on your SIRS journey, you can join us over at thesirsgroup.com. We'll see you there. See you there.